Good morning, church. And good morning to those online as well. Before I get started, why don't I just pray? Father, we come before you today, another day where we confess that you are Lord. We want to realign, Lord. We gather together to point to the one that matters, the one who deserves all of our glory and honor, and the one who is powerful to save. Jesus, we ask that, well, we know you are here. You're already living and working and speaking in your people here today. I ask that you would help us to hear your spirit that they would not hear me and anything that is of the flesh and that is of my words that are not for the building up, that would be forgotten. And instead, your people would hear directly from you and not just hear, but be changed and challenged. Father, I don't want to just transfit, transmit information. I'm asking you for transformation. So Jesus, we just thank you for this day this time to listen and focus our eyes back on you and ask that you would have your way in our lives today and tomorrow and for the rest of our lives in jesus name amen there's two paths in front of each of you one path is a light path, a path you can see down because it's light. You have visual, you can see what's down the way. There's lights, it's knowing and it's comfortable and you, you want to take it. And there's another path that's dark and it's shadowy and it's obscure and there's no light there and you can only see about a few feet in front of you. And if I were to give you these two paths and say, choose right now, which one would you choose? Well, as adults, we might not have such a fear of darkness as we did when we were children. Though I'm sure many of us could remember times when we were all kids where we had to sleep with nightlights or we ran to our parents because we were scared of something in the dark. I'm sure there's actually many stories in here of scary events and maybe even some traumatic events of what's happened in the dark. When I recall my own childhood, I don't know, I don't recall being really afraid of the dark, though my parents would know that answer better. But when I approached middle school, I, it wasn't fear of the dark, but I did have to face some consequences of being in the dark, physically speaking. I was invited to a youth group at a church I'd never been to on a Friday night, and we were playing this kind of hide-and-seek tag in the dark. All the lights were off, only the exit signs illuminated little aspects of the church. I didn't know what was what in this church, but I was sure going to win the game. And so I was jetting down this this hallway with people hot in pursuit of me and reached the end and determined not to be caught, swung, up, swung open the next door, and I just ran down what I thought was a hallway. And it was a bit of a Bugs Bunny kind of experience. You guys know the coyote running off of a cliff. 
and it takes a couple feet, a couple meters to realize there was nothing below him. Well, that was my case because what I, my hall that I ran into was a staircase to the basement of the church. And I, after a whole bunch of noise and banging and yelling from me, I'm sure, the lights flick on and some kids pop their head down, looking down the, the stairs and see my crumpled body at the bottom. Thankfully, young bodies can take these kind of things decently well, and I was not broken, somehow. But maybe more, it was brokenness in my pride. You know, even if we don't fear darkness, there's danger within it. And you know, the Bible, when it talks about darkness and light, it talks a lot in, about the relationship with salvation. Referring to man's, mankind's relationship before knowing Jesus as a time of darkness. And then that light that enters us as we surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ. As I said in John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And ultimately, it all comes down to a choice for each of us. Whether you're going to choose to lay your life down and submit yourself to the authority, the kingship, the love and service of your creator, creator, Lord, and God who made you, or will you choose your own path to put something else in the place of God or try to play God yourself? And this is the choice of the ages. I want to go to the most quoted and the most memorized scripture in the Bible. As many of you would know already, John 3.16. I'm going to read that, but then I want to read the next five verses afterwards and talk about it a little bit. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is what we share with people. Is this not what we go to the most? There's so much hope, so much truth and life in this verse. But let's read the next verses. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does, does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. There's some major truths in these scriptures. First is that you who receive Jesus, there is no condemnation. In other words, there is no blame, no punishment on you who have received Christ. Know that and let that Penetrate into your heart if you haven't already. 
You have, your slate has been wiped clean. Thank you, Lord. But the second truth that I'm going to talk about a little bit, it's a little bit harder for us to listen to and to accept. And as preachers and as believers, we don't really like to hear it. That there is judgment to come for those who don't choose, who choose to not come to God. Those who choose darkness instead of light have brought God's judgment upon themselves. I'm not talking about judgment from humans, from you or me. I know it's a bit of a loaded word that's used, that's used all over now in contexts that don't really warrant it. Judgment. But let Jesus' words remind us that there's only one true judge we need to be concerned about. It's not the world's judgment. It's not the devil's. It's not the people around you. Dare I say, it's not even the Christians around you, their judgments that ultimately matter in our lives. We should be concerned with the ultimate judge, God. He offered his son, offers us to walk into the light of his beautiful life. But if there is light that we're going to walk into, then there's darkness that we have to walk out of. And these passages warn us about the consequences of choosing the darkness. And our souls should be stirred because of these scriptures. They go deep and have eternal consequences for each of us and for those that we know and love. And even those we don't love. We do not like to think about the results of darkness, of sin, of choosing anything other than God. But the truth is there, and it should cut to our hearts for the many souls caught in a blind and dark world. We need to have his light penetrate our hearts in new ways today and tomorrow, and continually about this truth. But I want to warn you that his light is not comfortable, generally. It exposes us, and it purifies us, and it's humbling. We, in turn, need to surrender our pride and our self-sufficiency and accept his lordship to see the world as he does. And, you know, we're continually warned about this battle of darkness and light, just as the people of Israel were in the days of the prophets. I'm going to quote Jeremiah here, a prophet who pleaded with the people over and time and time again to turn back, to turn away from the dark, that they wouldn't face his judgment and come back to God. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. You know, many of us don't believe physical darkness to be a big deal these days, let alone spiritual darkness. We're quick to share and think that we've evolved and adapted to our surroundings. We in most of the modern world don't have to worry about night ambushes by ferocious animals. That is not our day-to-day -day fears. We have built lights into our lives and rarely have to face a life in darkness. But what happens 
when a person spends too much time in darkness? What are the effects? Well, in the early 1950s, footage emerged out of Korea of American prisoners of war denouncing capitalism and extolling the virtues of communism. Convinced that these prisoners were being brainwashed, the CIA launched a program called Project Bluebird on mind control techniques. And part of this program involved testing people in isolation, but not just isolation, in complete darkness. Project X-38, they constructed a grid of four by six by eight foot cells, each air-conditioned and soundproofed. And they recruited volunteers from the university nearby, and they paid them $20 a day. Now remember, this is the 50s. $20 a day to stay in there as long as they could. Over their eyes, when they were in the cells, they had to put on these special fogged glasses to not even allow anything to come in. To reduce their tactile stimulation, they wore cotton gloves and elbow-to-fingertip cardboard cuffs. Over their ears, a U-shaped foam pillow, and they were instructed to stay in those cells as long as they could. And the results were frightening. One of the first candidates, when he finished his, his time, Participating in this experiment, he, he left the building, promptly got into his car, and then promptly crashed it, leaving the parking lot. Other people that were participating, they'd have to go to the bathroom, obviously, if you're staying here for days. And so they would, they would go to the bathrooms in the building, but then they would get confused. And they wouldn't find their way out of the bathroom or back to their cell. And they would have to call for help to get back. But the most startling findings from this study was the hallucinations. Within mere hours of this experiment, nearly every single subject saw and felt things that were not there, involving elaborate scenes and visions that would unfold in front of them. One researcher noted that within such a short time, how much the volunteers had been shaken to their core and how much that had disturbed their personal identities. After such a brief exposure to total physical darkness, such confusion can occur that your brain, in your brain, that you can't function even when you're in the light. Look at the car crash. Look at those that couldn't find their way out of the bathrooms. They were back in the light, and yet the confusion from the darkness persisted. And then there's the hallucinations. Darkness causes us to see things that are not real. Things that are not the truth, and we begin to lose the ability to tell the difference. And if that's what's happening to us physically, and physical, if we're subjected to complete darkness, what's happening to the spiritually blind person? What are people hearing and seeing and doing because they know no better? They cannot see the path, and what they do see is not the truth. You know, our world seems to be unraveling around us, and I hear many believers around me focused on what is wrong and what is broken and decaying. And to tell you the truth, 
The world is falling apart. But that shouldn't be news to any of us as believers. The Bible has not kept secret about what's going to happen to this world and what we're going to face as time goes on. The struggles our world will enter will increase as it turns farther from God into darkness. Reading from 2 Timothy. Evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, being deceiving and being deceived. The verse prior to this says that any of those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So those of us that want to walk in the light and seek Christ will struggle, will face hardship. There's not a question. That's, that's going to happen. And not only that, while we're facing those struggles, the world's turning, turning blacker. And reading from Romans, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That futility that came in their thinking, that darkening of their hearts, that's spiritual blindness, that's darkness. Spiritual darkness. The refusal to follow God resulted in an inability to see truth. The world is failing. And yet, what is concerning for me is that some of the solutions or ideas that believers think will save it. You know, we as believers can start looking or complaining and focusing more on the darkness rather than how we can penetrate it with God's light. One common, common theme I've been hearing as a solution is that we need reform in our government to boot out the incompetent and corrupt and put in somebody wise in their place. We want to vilify one single person or a group of people, typically leaders, and say that they're the reason we're in this mess, falsely believing that putting another man or woman in charge will save us. But is that not the story of mankind and the story of Israel and the kings? Did not the people walk into darkness regardless of who was running the show? They did because they kept putting their trust in man to lead them instead of bowing to a God that had already tried to lead them and been rejected. My last sermon about a month, month ago, I had mentioned how the people of Israel had gone to Samuel and said, we don't want to serve God directly. Give us a king. Read First and Second Samuel, Kings and Chronicles, and see where that got them. There will be no true change in society if the heart of the society remains in darkness and blind to the truth and reality of God. Another solution we like to weigh in on is, well, 
We just need more rules to keep us in check. Our laws are deteriorating fast, and so we need to put in some good, strict moral laws to curb the sins and atrocities that happen around us. If we can just force everyone to, do, to not do bad things, we're, we will be in a better place. It's that belief that if we do not act evil, then we are not evil. But that's not true. Look at the Pharisees and the laws that they created. They created hundreds of laws and applied them against the scriptures to keep them so far away from the scriptures, but they just strangled life out of the gospel and distracted and led people astray, and Jesus calls them out for it. More laws was not the answer. Making a society morally upright by doing what we know is good does not create a better world of clean, pure, and holy people. All we end up doing is creating a society of moral sinners. People who do the right actions with unregenerate hearts. Who are still dead in their trespasses, blind to God, and headed to hell. Look at Nicodemus in John 3. He's a great example of a moral sinner. He did the work of God. He was morally upright. He knew and taught the scriptures. But he did not know God. And what did Jesus say to him? You must be born again. To be able to walk in the light, you must come to know me. Or it's all for naught. Reading a quote from Billy Sunday. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. but we kind of act like it does sometimes. We've done the motions, and we check it out off our box of our to-do list. Our actions do not define us, but our life in Christ does. That life should, should result in good works. But remember that people can look and walk and talk like the best of us and be dead and blind in their hearts. And usually those that do act that good and do look that good in the world are the hardest people to reach with the gospel. And you know, as believers, we can be tempted to want to, cre- to create a country where we can look around and see people that look and act right, that make the right moral decision, but ultimately they could be as spiritually dead and as far away from God as they ever were. The difference now in our present day that we're seeing, you and I are seeing now, is the conclusions and the results of a faithless and unbelieving society. And these results are destructive and they're really dangerous and we're all seeing it and we can't deny it. But we're looking to the wrong solutions sometimes. We attempt to cure the symptoms and not the cause. Don't hear me wrong We do, we should seek better governance. And we do need good leaders. And we shouldn't give up on social reforms. The moral decay of our society is atrocious. And you know what really scares me about the way that our society is headed? Is the effects and the results it's going to have on my children and in future generations. Because the confusion is increasing. So yes, we do need to engage in those realms. But we cannot put our hopes 
in these labors and works to ultimately save our world. We need to rather put our trust in Jesus as the light of the world, the only one who can shed the scales from the sight of sinners that they may truly see, and that should be our focus. So what am I saying? Is that we have all been blind at one point, but then we came to Jesus, and when we come to Jesus, we see and enter into his light. But then the world and its struggles take more and more of our vision until our focus goes askew. And instead, salvation in God needs to take priority in our minds. Transformation of the hearts of the people will result in the salvation of the land. And if we focus on the symptoms only and focus on the... That if we focus on the symptoms only and forget the root of the disease, we're working in vain. Even doing God's work, we can get so caught up in it that we forget the one that called us to it, equipped us for it, and ultimately is going to make that work successful. I've taken a bit of a sermon from Paris Reedhead, and in it, there's this Chinese believer that visited North America for the first time, and on the way back, somebody asked him, What impressed you the most about America? And he responded saying, the great things Americans can accomplish without God. Paris goes on to say, come to the cross and join him in union with his death and enter into all the meaning of death to self in order that he can have glory. I say to you, dear Christian, if you do not know the fullness of the Holy Ghost, Come and present your body a living sacrifice and let him fill you so that he can have the purpose for his coming fulfilled in you and get glory through your life. It's not what you're going to get out of God, it's what he's going to get out of you. The only way we're going to tr see true transformation in the society around us is just as Jesus told Nicodemus, it's to lead people to the person in salvation of Jesus and have them be born again that they may walk out of that dark into the light. As Charles Spurgeon says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. We are literal bearers of light. And our job is to lead others to the door. We can't make them walk through it. At that point, it's up to God and them. Charles goes on to say, the Bible is not the light of the world. It is the light of the church. But the world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians. You all are the light of the world. And it's good news, and we have it, and that should excite us, and it should overflow. And if you don't have that in your heart, I'd ask you to come forward after and 
pray with somebody or pray with somebody in the sanctuary, in the church, and talk about it, what it means to come into that light, to be born again, to find that life in Jesus that is beyond anything we can imagine. But if you have it, if you already know Jesus now, I'd ask you, are you ashamed of him? Are you holding him to yourself? You know, we all have works to do in our hearts. And there's a tendency for all of us to still go into darkness. Even as a believer. But Jesus wants to reveal that darkness in our hearts and cut it out. We still need to learn to see spiritually, even as believers. And it's a journey, and I haven't arrived. Bringing Jesus into the world is our primary mission. There is no other mission. And you say, Adam, you've oversimplified it. And I just say that we've overcomplicated it, and we're losing ground. You know, the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. It's not our business to make the, whole, to make the message acceptable, but to make it available. We are not to see that they like it, but that they get it. Do it in love. Don't do it without love, because it will fall short. But are we? Are we shining? Have you guys heard the name Daniel Kish before? Do you know the story of Daniel? He's got another name. He's the real-life Batman. From infancy, he's been blind. And yet he has lived an exceptionally full and active life. He mountain bikes. He hikes. He can go through a town in a park biking, and he can dodge people in obstacles, and you wouldn't actually probably even know that he's blind. He could come to our building, and you give him a piece of paper, and he could take a pencil and he could walk around our building and he could draw the outline of our church with surprising accuracy. And this is all true. And to do this, he's perfected a form of human echolocation using reflected sound waves to build a mental picture of his surroundings. He clicks and he listens to the response. And while he learned and honed his skill doing this, Relatively few blind people use this active echolocation to the extent that Daniel does. In many instances, it's discouraged, says Kish. I personally have worked with students who've come from schools for the blind for, where, for whom clicking was actively discouraged. It's discouraged because it's seen as blindism. If you're clicking, then you're drawing undue or negative attention to yourself, he says. Some admit that the clicking noise is a barrier to the most self-conscious clients, typically adults. So, the most receptive to echolocation are young people. And that's much of what Daniel does. He works with young people, teaching them and training them. And some organizations for blind people look at the solution in terms of the services they can provide as opposed to the service that the blind person requires, he said. You know, his story can challenge believers who are called into the light, but fail to grow in how to see in the darkness. 
and how to bring Christ's light into dark places. He faced discouragement from people because of the tool that he used to navigate the world could bring undue attention to him. But likewise, as believers, we must get comfortable getting uncomfortable with navigating a world in a different way than the world itself is going to navigate. And we're going to stick out sometimes. Shouldn't be your goal, but it'll happen. And are we seeking comfort and conformity, or are we going to be seeking him? You know, he faced these organizations, Daniel faced these groups that offered these services instead of equipping the blind with the abilities to navigate in the world. And hasn't the church similarly fallen sometimes into these pitfalls? I think especially of the church of the Middle Ages. Where did you go to hear scriptures? The only place to go, you had to go to church to hear the scriptures. Now you guys have the scriptures. You can read them anywhere you want, especially with phones. And then where did you get forgiveness from sins? You had to go to a priest and confess. And we don't have to do that. But we do not gather as believers on Sundays just so that the elite can dole out portions of Jesus while others consume it. The job of the church is to equip the body with the tools to shine and live in a dark world. Daniel learned and practiced and honed his gift to navigate a world while blind. We are no longer blind when we come to Christ. But we must grow and open our spiritual eyes and learn to use the gifts and the abilities that he's put in each and every one of you. Not just for ourselves. These gifts aren't for us to hoard. But to go to others, to guide others to Christ. Just as Daniel used his own gift to teach the children to see in that blind world. First John 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. First, we choose to walk in Christ, and we walk out of that darkness into his light. That means there is a way in which we should walk, and sin has no place there. But darkness is not the same as sin. Darkness is the refusal to surrender to God's will, refusal to accept his truth and dominion over our lives and to walk our own way. But we must surrender the belief that we can live as we will and instead live as he wills. 
We must surrender our control and our desires and even our beliefs in what is truth and light and rather submit to what God says is good and true, regardless of whether we like it or not. It doesn't mean that we don't sin, but that we must be able to see our sins, admit them, and confess them. That's a type of spiritual sight we all need. Taking a quote from Ray Stedman, if you trust yourself to walk in the light of your own conscience, uninstructed or little instructed by the word of God, you will end up doing things that you are deeply and sincerely convinced are right, but they may be terribly hurtful and destructive within the church. And I would add, can be very destructive in yourself and in the world. We need his word to dwell deeply within us. We need to have our eyes open to the state of the world and see how God is working within the darkness. The word will fill us not only with his plan, but our place within that plan. It reminds us that the root problem is man's rebellion and blindness to God. That should in turn drive our desire to shed what holds us back to expose ourselves first to the light and to be cleansed and strengthened by him so that we can go out into the darkness and shine the way for others. Not because we're perfect, but because our vision is God-given and empowered through his word and Holy Spirit. Coming to the end here, sharing another quote from Charles Spurgeon. A church that does not exist to reclaim heathenism, to fight evil, to destroy error, to put down falsehood. A church that does not exist to take the side of the poor, to denounce injustice and to uphold righteousness is a church that has no right to be. Not for yourself, O oh church, do you exist any more than Christ existed for himself. We exist for him and to testify to the world about him. But do we see the decay of society as the problem or the lost souls that are at the root of it? Do we understand the consequences of walking in darkness and what is at stake for our fellow man and woman? Don't let your eyes settle on the lostness of the world and instead be filled with the light and the power to overcome it. We are given gifts by God, and the greatest gift, Christ Jesus, his son. But that gift was never given to be hoarded, but to be shared with those beyond. Let me pray. Father, you are the light of the world. And in you there is no condemnation. Father, let that soften the parts of our hearts that maybe have grown accustomed or grown hard or grown comfortable. And we forget that amazing work that has called each of these people out of the light, out of the darkness, into the light. Each of us has responded at one point or Lord willing will respond to you. But when we walk with you, Lord, give us the courage, soften our hearts and fill us with your life and light to walk that path that is less trodden, 
and we might stick out. We might be rejected. Father, that's not our business. The results are your business. We're called to obey and to follow. And you promise to fill us and give us the words and the energy and the power and the wisdom and the love, and we need that. So Father, speak to your children and equip them. Expose the parts of our hearts that don't want to be exposed. I know I am the first guilty of that, of having parts of me that need to be cut out. Like a surgeon uses a scalpel. And part of that might hurt me. But Lord, if it's for your benefit, I'll submit myself. Because I want to know you and the power of your resurrection and see others come and know you as well. So Father, speak to your people in a way only you can. And change them. Let it not just be information, but transformation in their hearts. Father, you are the light of the world and we thank you so much for who you are and what you have given us to, given to us daily and that the door is still open. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen.